when you walk out, there's going to be a big sign that says God is, and that's our sub-theme this coming a few weeks. And we wanted to bring it up here, but it, it kind of didn't really fit. But there's a lot of thoughts and a lot of emotions this week, a lot of things if you're watching the news. And we wanted to invite you to go up to the board after worship, um, during, before you go home, and just write, who is God to you? God is, and just write it out. Um, maybe you needed just energy and comfort, and God is our rock. Maybe God to you is, God is truth. Whatever it may be, just to help you sort through before you go home today, that you know that God is God. And so we invite you to write that on the board, and we're going to just see what gets written on there. Um, with that, it has been an incredible week. Um, it has been uh, surprising in many ways. And so we wanted to just come and just be still before the Lord. And there's heartbreak, there's pain, there's fear, there's excitement, there's jubilation. And right now, I think the country is literally 47.8 voted for Hillary, 47.4 voted for Donald Trump. It's a popular vote, last count. And you just can't get more divided than that in terms of just the ideology. But we're the church of Jesus Christ. We're the kingdom of God. And so there's one place where we can come together. It's before a triune God. So before I continue, I'd like to just take a moment of silence. Just, you don't have to pray. Just a moment of silence just to be still and to recognize God, no matter what, you're still God. And just, let's just bask in that and then I'll close with a prayer. God, lead us into your presence with trembling and fear. Not because you're going to destroy us, but because you are indeed still a holy God and we are unworthy to come before you. And yet, the paradox is you're the God who also invites us and approaches us. And so, we come to you by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We come to you, Lord God, seeking you to be the king that we look up to and that we would be your people who live out with courage. So help us now by the power of your Holy Spirit may these words, your words, and true and show us your incredible vision that you have for us in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start by reading, let's read today's scripture together, and let's come together. I'll read the odd verses, and you read the even verses, and let's go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the 
Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. All together now? Verse 9? Oh, that's it. <laughs> Psych. That one's going to get cut out of the sermon on the internet. So, um, this week reminded me of my favorite novel, The Lord of the Flies. And Lord of the Flies is a story of how civilized boys, private school, dapper, dressed up, get shipwrecked, and all the grown-ups are dead. So they're trying to survive on an island amongst teenage boys. And then what happens in that story? Without authority... They go into chaos and tribalism, and they start breaking up into sex, and then they eventually, at the end, kill one of their own. And at the end of the movie, a ship comes to rescue them, and an authority presence comes, and then the lead protagonist weeps because he's back to civilization. And I, just, I never make these kind of bold statements in our church, if you know me, but I will say it now. I think we are in a world where this is what it looks like when you take God out of our domain, out of our world. God, you inconvenience me. You inconvenience my life. I want to do it my way. And when we take God out of that domain, this is what happens to us. We become judges and people who do what's best fit in our own eyes. And so the Lord of the Flies, it's, it's this perpetual thought in me that we cannot become a civilization without a higher being. And newsflash, it's not the president. Newsflash, it's not even your mom, no matter how strong and smart she is. We need an authority that's perfect, and that authority has and always will be God. If, by the way, if you look at the Old Testament, just do a study of all the times that Israel said, we don't need you, God, and see how, it, as Dr. Phil says, how did that turn out for you? Look in your life when you say, God, I don't need you, let me do it my way, and I guarantee you, I'm 90% sure, almost 100% sure that 90% of us, your lives didn't go all that well when we said, I'll do my life my way, thank you. I don't need God. Lord of the flies. So what do we do when the world is in chaos? What do we do when the world, there's four days of protest? What do we do when you have leaders who you can't, both of them seem to be, you know, come on, you've all said it. This is the best we could come up with? What do we do? We protest and march and vandalize and break windows. No, okay. So you're like, please, please say something. Don't, don't end there. And, and so I think Isaiah 6, it tells us. Because Isaiah was called out at a time when in chapter 3 of Isaiah, God says, I'm going to bring judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. Israel is in turmoil. And Isaiah 6 says this, what happens when the world seems upside down? God is seated on the throne. Isaiah 6.1. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, 
seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. When the world is going in chaos, what is God doing? He's going on Facebook and saying, what is going on? He's going on Twitter and saying, the world's gotten mad. No, he's sitting in his throne. No matter what the world is turning out to be, and he's saying, I still reign. How awesome is that? We're freaking out. The world looks like it's caving in, or we're grieving, or either way it would have gone. And God is saying, I'm still seated on the throne. And so it's not just a throne, it's the throne. There are no other thrones. There's no other authority. There's no other God. There's no other power. God is God. And I feel like this is just a, this is just rubbish compared to what we're going to see. But there is seraphim flying. There's holiness. There's smoke. And Isaiah's first reaction is to just go, I'm toast. And you see God seated on a throne. And do you think he's stressed out? And do you think he's getting doubts? Do you think he's worried? Do you think he's going, oh no, what do I do with this one? Isaiah's right. He sees God seated on his throne. Not only is he seated on the throne, and the text and the sermon message better title would have been better, God is seated on the throne. But God is also, can you say this word with me? Holy. I don't think we grasp what this word means. You know what holy means? This church is holy in the sense of this reason. It's set apart. Holy means set apart. Set apart? Can you say set apart? Holy just simply means set apart for God. So in this sanctuary, we don't do paintballing. We don't, we're not going to you know, have a club night, disco club, dance. We could make money like that, and we could probably rent it out for a nightclub. It happens in New York. They, they do that. But this place is holy. The choir, Charles' gift of leading choir is holy in the sense his gift is set apart for God. Some of your writers, your writing is holy to God because it's set apart for God. Sunday, it's holy. Why? Not just because you go to church, but set apart to declare, in my life, God is number one. At the beginning of the week, God, I give everything to you. So holy means set apart. So people are holy. Church is holy. You're holy. If you give yourself to Christ, you're a holy people, a holy nation. But when it refers to God as holy, this is where it gets a little harder. They're saying holy, holy, holy is who? Lord God Almighty. What does that mean? Is God set apart for himself? That doesn't make sense. You know what that means? It means all of God, every end of him and who he is, he is the end all, the be all of what is good. In other words, he's not subject to morality. He is the giver of morality. When I was in youth group, kids asked me about evolution, and here's my biggest issue with evolution that evolutionists can't answer. If evolution is true and there is no God, you got a big problem because you don't have a basis for morality because it's survival of the fittest. So, hey, you got to do what you can to survive. Now, if that is true, then Hitler was not evil. If that is true, Mussolini, Stalin, Lenin was not cruel. 
Because who are you to judge their judgment of good and evil? We are just beings surviving the fittest. But there's something in you because God has made you in the image of God to know that is not right. Because God is holy and he has planted absolute good in you. He knows good. He is good. And so the whole world is filled with his glory. His every morality is subject to him. So you go before a God who's holy. You know, this church is kind of fancy and nice, but, you know, I notice people walk in and they go, hey, da, 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 and they walk in, they're like. They kind of, every, every new people, young people, they're like, shh, we're in church now. Shut up. Dad, give him a lollipop so he shuts up. And so there is this, like, sense, and I realize that's normal, but can you imagine coming before the presence fully unfiltered before the living God? Are you ready for that? And I'm saying, Lord, I know Jesus Christ, but you know my heart. Woe is me. I am ruined. I like how Eugene Peterson says it. Doom! It's doomsday! I'm as good as dead. Every word I've spoken is tainted, blasphemous, even. In other words, Isaiah is recognizing his lips reflect his heart, and his whole being is just unworthy to come before a holy God. Just as a side, we come to church thinking, I'm here. Look what I'm doing for you, God. And, and this attitude is like, wow, thank you so much. I couldn't have done church without you. No, God's like, I'm God. Angels are proclaiming me 24-7. If you approach me, you get to come before the living God. We don't go to God flippantly. We go to God with trembling and awe. Who am I to know you, God? And so we have this weird arrogance, and this is why there's this sin, and Isaiah recognizes this conviction. And so we are not as good as we think we are. There is a sinfulness, and this week has revealed it. Let me show you some slides, and they're disturbing. But this is from this past week. And I'm like, wow, we live in a corrupt, me included, we are just way worse than we realize. Here's the first slide. These are posts that went up after the election, and all these things are happening both to every side. This is a Muslim girl. My first racist encounter after our new joke of a president. As I am at Walmart today, a woman came up to me and pulled my hijab off and said, this is not allowed anymore, so go hang yourself with it around your neck, not on your head. I am traumatized. You know, I, I mean, like, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. That's, there's something in us that says, boy, I'm going to work you up a little bit, and hopefully I can land this plane at the end properly. Next one. This is a Korean man from Simi Valley, only 40 miles from here. I was just at the liquor store to get cigs, and a group of white guys asked me if I could speak English. When I chuckled and ignored them, they followed me into 7-Eleven and said, chinks should get out of the country while we still can because a more pure America is finally coming back. When the 7-Eleven clerk asked them to leave, they started laughing and called him Bin Laden and said they'd come back to burn him on a cross. I told them to get the, I blanked it out, out, and they were like, oh, wow, he speaks English, and he proceeded to follow me to my car where they were yelling white power. Good old Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, 
Good old Simi Valley reminds me of the racist white kids in middle school and high school. And just before we say, you know, beating up on one side, let's look at this one. This is a clip of a video, just a picture that I just snapshot, of guys beating up on a white man because they claimed he voted for Trump. And 20 people are standing around watching as he's getting his face pummeled and his car stolen. Do you think the elections brought out racism, hatred? I think they were always there. I think the elections triggered an outburst. And so here's one more. Just in case you think I'm going nuts, this is what the USA Today came up with yesterday. Post-election spate of hate crimes worse than post-9-11 experts say. I'm sharing this because we are, as Christians, as people of God, whose citizenship is in heaven, we need to look at this and not react politically. But we need to look at this from a frame view of the God who is seated on a throne. How do we live out into this? Rolling Stones magazine, one more quote, after the election, I kept seeing more and more stories about racist incidents on social media, but realized they were getting lost in the shuffle of post-election. I also wanted to highlight that these are not isolated incidents in red states. They're happening all over the country. We are doomed in the sense of our own sin when we think we could control good and evil by legislature, by our own civilization. When a sinful heart is corrupt, these things only bring it out. They don't remove it. And in the presence of God, Isaiah is seeing, first and foremost, not the Palestinians, not the Babylonians, not the Assyrians, but he's saying, who is in trouble? It's me. So here's the first application, folks. World will never change until we come before God. And if you compare yourself to Trump, you might feel righteous. I never said that. But God doesn't judge us by our president. God judges you by his son, Jesus Christ, who's perfect. And when you come before God, how are you doing with that? I've been going to church for 60 years, God. He'll say, oh, goodness, that's not what makes you holy. And so we are in trouble, and we need what's called sanctification. And Isaiah, something happened. He said, woe is me. Because we have a heart problem and we have a sin problem, sanctification is not something you can do to yourself. In other words, self-help of your sin doesn't work. Um, I love, I, I confess, I love Walking Dead. It's a bad show. It's like gory. But do you know why I love it? Don't judge. Don't you judge. You people who watch like, you know, I've seen soap opera dramas from a long time ago. Do you know why I like Walking Dead? It's this metaphor to life. For me, it's, this is how I see it. Death and evil and zombies are rampant in the world, but humanity's biggest danger is the sinfulness of fellow human beings. When you take out authority, it's not the zombies we're struggling with, it's the unchecked humanity of other people. My wife and I were like, man, what would we do if that was true? I mean, we're Christians and we're sci-fi, and she's like, I just want to die. I, just want, I don't want to survive with the kids. I just want to die. But it says something. 
we don't trust that we can really control our own sin nature. We could contain it, but you can never abolish sin nature. You and I need sanctification. We need a purification. We need a transformation. This is why religion does not work. But Jesus Christ's atonement for you and me works. He is the only atoning power for our sin. Amen? Can we say amen? amen? This is what the good news is, folks. It's not try harder. It's Jesus Christ needs to atone for our sin. So Isaiah 6, 6, 7. Then one of the seraphim threw, flew, took a live coal from his hand, which he had taken from the tongues of the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and listened to the wording. He doesn't say, oh, you're okay for now. He says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Friends, is your guilt taken away and is your sin atoned for? Because that is the only answer for sin problem. And so Hebrews 10, 14 of many verses says this, for by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time who are being sanctified. When Jesus Christ is your sole hope and purpose, we can be sanctified. Not religion, not what you've done, not what you know, not who you know, but if our lips and our hearts have been touched by the fire of the altar of the cross, the blood shed, and it saturates us, we have hope. I want to line this with a few applications. First, and I don't want to, this could be another 45-minute message, but I'll just end it here. Can I ask the church to do, just write this down if you want, I'll email it to you, just a few applications based on this. In light of this politics season, in light of everything going on, in light of me talking to my three kids this week about, I need to talk to you about real stuff, you may go to 7-Eleven. I had this talk, and you're going to hear chink, go back to China. Then you say, I'm not from China, I'm from Korea. I didn't say that. So, so <laughs> tell them, but I did have a talk with them and saying, this is going to happen, but you, first application, check your heart, repent for our country, repent for the sins of your people, community, fellow citizens, repent for your own sins, because the ultimate judge who still sits on the throne is God. Before you dare point a finger at them, check your heart and repent. Two, Jesus Christ is truly all we need, not just for salvation, but for now. I hated this term, and I never once said this in our church, and I never will, but except for this time. I don't like WWJD. I don't like what would Jesus do. It makes Christianity into this like legalistic ritual. But I think it applies here in this sense. In the realm of politics, with all your anger, frustration, and grief, really, what would Jesus do as a Democrat? What would Jesus do as a Republican? What would Jesus really do? Before you react, go to Jesus. What would he really do? I know he flipped the money changers table. That's because they sacrileged his father's house. But when it comes to politics and principles and different views, how would you respond? What would Jesus do? Just, I don't know the answers for everything, but what would Jesus do? Because I know he's not racist. Because I know he died for all people. I know he died for a broken world. 
Third, you might have heard this before. I don't care what you think of Donald Trump. I don't, I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not too crazy about him, but one thing we are going to do as a people of God, as a kingdom of God, we're going to pray the heck for him. And just we're going to pray and cover him. We're going to pray for his heart to be softened, for him to have wisdom. We're going to pray that if he leads, he leads with courage and boldness and fear of the Lord. By the way, he's Presbyterian Church USA. He's our denomination member. <clears throat> just, just pray extra prayer for him. Pray that he could somehow have the humility and the purity to lead a country together. And lastly, God is seated on the throne. Don't forget that. When the world seems like it's falling in, don't you dare forget that Isaiah has shown us a glimpse of what he, God's doing. He's there seated on his throne, and he's here with us living in you if you're a Christian. He is in control. He is not shocked. He is not going to be apologized. He is God. What does that mean for you and I? And so what that means is we could empathize. We could, we could love. We could listen. And I want to end with this quote that my friend, pastor in Seattle, Eugene Cho, wrote on his Facebook a few weeks ago. This is how we should act. Love your family. Be a good neighbor. Mentor someone. Practice kindness. Build bridges. Live reconciliation. Forgive your enemies. Volunteer somewhere. Be generous with your resources. Be gracious. Embody the gospel. Not because you're strong, but because there's a God who's seated on the throne. And he is reigning, whether we acknowledge it or not. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we humbly come before you, unworthy of your love, undeserving of your grace. And that's what makes this amazing grace beautiful and amazing. Thank you for atoning us, not because of works we've done, but because of your son, Jesus Christ, who stepped out of the throne to die on a cross for us. We look at this country and with fear and trembling and worries that are valid, help us to be the church, see it as an opportunity to rise up and to live as people who go against the flow with a different king. Help us to honor our leaders and pray for them. Help us to check our hearts of all the emotions and desires and anger and hatred and may we just lay those before you for you're the God who hung on the cross and said of us, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. May our morality be subject to your holiness that you are the absolute good. And may you continue to glorify yourself even in the midst of a broken society. For you are indeed our authority and our king, and with you we have life. We pray this with the prayer that your son taught us.